Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own, his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for that reading, Janet, and we'll pick up bits of that as we work through this morning. As we come to look at this clause, I believe in the Holy Spirit in the Creed, let's ask God to help us to understand. Father, we thank you that by your Spirit, you inspired those who wrote your word. We pray that by that same Spirit, you would inspire our hearts this morning. Amen. Amen. So we continue our working through the words of the Apostles' Creed and come to that phrase, 
I believe in the Holy Spirit. She reads through the Apostles' Creed. It almost seems to come as an afterthought. We've had long explanations about God, the Father who created the world, of maker of heaven and earth, of God the Son, and all about his life, death, resurrection, and ascension that we looked at last week. And we saw that our Christian life is meaningless if any of that is not true. But the rest of the creed seems to run rather breathlessly, doesn't it? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Whew, we've got there. I wonder, had the composers of the creed run out of time in their deliberations, and were just making some quick notes of the other things that we needed to consider, or had they run out of parchment and just sort of jotted down these other things that were important? It's almost as if we should expect a footnote at the Amen, which is saying, we'll think about these things a bit later. Well, I'm not sure quite why that it was as brief as this, but more likely it is that these things were important, but they weren't the main theological issues when the creed was written. So we just have a fairly simple statement, I believe in the Holy Spirit. That other creed that we use regularly um, in the communion service, the Nicene Creed of the 4th century, does expand things a bit because it starts, and I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life. And it's at that point that I want to focus on this morning. Because there is much that we can consider about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Godhead. But I want to focus on just two this morning. The Spirit who creates by giving life. And then the Spirit who recreates by giving new life. But before we start on that journey, just a couple of things by way of an introduction. Many of you probably are aware that the Hebrew word for spirit, ruach, and the Greek word for spirit, pneuma, both have the meanings of, of spirit or breath or wind. We still use pneuma in common English, don't we, when we talk about pneumatic tires of the air being filled in. And those variety of meanings do create some interesting translations at times. Um, but also it seems that God loves the word play on them because we find both in the vision of Ezekiel, which we'll come to a bit later, and also John, um, when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, there's this wonderful word play between word and, and, and air and breath that goes on. And secondly, and you may be surprised at this, the Spirit didn't suddenly appear at Pentecost. In Genesis 1, as, as Sarah Jane reminded us, right at the start of the service, we read of the Spirit hovering over the waters at the time of creation. And there are references to that Ruach of Yahweh at various other points in the Old Testament. Certainly to get a better understanding of the person and the work of the Spirit, we need the teaching of Jesus and the bringing together of all that's there across the whole of our scriptures. But we'll never plumb the depths, even when we do that. So let's start with the Spirit who creates by giving life. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. 
and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. See, right at the start of this creation myth, God is at work by the Spirit. If you looked at the other myths in the ancient Near East, the beginnings were ones of utter and total chaos and mayhem. The various gods were fighting each other for control of this, that, and the other. In contrast, the Spirit of God brings order and purpose as he hovers over the deep, bringing creation into being. And the rest of that Genesis account shows what that ordering and purpose achieved. The functions of day and night are brought to life by the greater and the lesser lights. The function of filling the earth is brought to fruition by the plants, the fish, the birds, and the animals, including the human ones. And the function of caring for this wonderful creation is given to male and female corporately bearing God's image. There's order and there's purpose. And we see that as we follow through the science of our origins and, and evolution, from Big Bang to the current day. An order and purpose which emanates from the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Many of the more recent commentators on, on that phrase, it was very good in Genesis. Talk about those words meaning when God did this, it was fit for purpose. There was a purpose behind all that God had made. And then by the end of Genesis 2, we find that creation ordered by the Ruach of God. It's ecologically balanced. It's a place of both bounty and beauty. The trees and the garden were wonderful for looking at, but they were also great for food. God has breathed his life into all that he's made. We find it in Psalm 104, that great zoo psalm where all the animals are listed again. When you send your spirit, the psalmist says, when you send your spirit, the ruach, they, the animals, are created and you renew the face of the ground. The spirit of God creating life. Now, there are much that Job's comforters got wrong in their theology. But Elihu, one of the last ones, does get one bit right because he talks about the Spirit of God, the Ruach of Yahweh, has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. And that's right at the heart of the Spirit's work in creating life. And part of that creating work of the Spirit is to pour out creative gifts into God's people for those gifts to be used in the service of others in so many different ways. So in Exodus, we find that Moses is told by God, I have filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and all kinds of skills. And so Bezalel, along with others, is used to create the wonder of the tabernacle. And we find similar words later on as Solomon's temple is built with all the wonderful creative gifts that God pours out through his Spirit. A theme of the Spirit who creates life finds its, its summit, I think, in the Nativity accounts right at the start of Matthew and Luke. Mary is told, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. And Joseph is assured by Gabriel that what is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit, from the pneuma of God. The Spirit bringing life, the work of the whole Trinity together, but the Spirit in particular, the one who creates life. Life which is God-breathed, life which was intended to be lived in an ordered and purposeful world. Now that's very far, isn't it, from the world that we see around us today. A land is spoiled by pollution. Good things like floods now bring destruction through climate change, rather than providing good fertile ground as it did in the Nile Valley. Greed and selfishness result in a world that's far from being ordered and purposeful as God intended. Last week, we saw all that Jesus has done to draw people back to him, into that right relationship, created, as, as Paul reminds us again in Romans this morning, through all that Jesus did in his cross and resurrection. But in order to make that real, we need the Spirit who recreates by giving new life. Again, as Paul reminds us in that reading from Romans. But I want to start earlier with that picture that we have in Ezekiel's great vision. Most of you will know the story. People of God are in exile in Babylon. To all intents and purposes, they are dead. They're dead to their land. They're dead to their inheritance and maybe they're even dead to God. And Ezekiel, that great prophet of the exile, is taken by God in the spirit to a bone field. And then he's told, prophesy to the breath, to the rack, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, come, ruach, from the four winds and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath Ruach entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And that picture of the Spirit of God coming and recreating and bringing new life is then turned into an existential promise for those who are in exile. For God says through Ezekiel, I will put my Spirit, my Ruach in you, and you will live. You will be recreated as I give you new life. And that theme of the Spirit of God recreating is picked up in many places in the New Testament, not least in John 3 and then in our reading in Romans 8. Remember Nicodemus? Fearfully and shyly at night he comes to Jesus and he's confused by Jesus' talk of being born again. Jesus has to straighten out Nicodemus' literal interpretation of what has been said. As Jesus says to him, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. The spirit of God recreating new life. All that we looked at last week in terms of Jesus' ministry is summed up in that wonderful expression at the beginning of our reading in Romans 8. 
So there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then Paul drives in his usual relentless logic through the rest of that chapter about how this freedom, about this no condemnation is brought into reality in our lives by the Spirit, the Spirit who creates by bringing new life. Verse 2, the Spirit, the pneuma who gives life, has set you free. Verse 10, the Spirit gives life because of Christ's righteousness. And verse 11, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. The Spirit of God recreating life. It's a new life which is to be lived out in accord with the order and purpose that the Spirit brought as he hovered over the waters at the beginning of creation. And that's where our declaring, I believe in the Holy Spirit, runs into the reality of the talks in Glasgow this coming week. I don't think that's too big a leap. Spirit of God to help us in the nitty-gritty of our care for creation, that creation over which he hovered at the start. Isaiah receives a similar new vision to Ezekiel's, a new life vision. And after describing environmental disaster in, in chapter 32 of Isaiah, Isaiah's vision goes this way, the Spirit is poured out on us from on high, the desert becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field seems like a forest. That transformation as the Spirit creates new life and renewed life in creation itself. If you read through the prophets, that's a common theme of rebirth by the breathing of the Spirit, leading to the repair of environmental damage and restoring ecological order and bounty. And actually, Paul is no different if we continued in our reading in Romans 8 this morning. We would have come across these words that creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, waiting for its groaning to be relieved. That Spirit of God that comes in and recreates us as the new sons and daughters of God is there for a purpose to relieve the groaning of creation. Children of God are revealed in the spirit of, as the Spirit of God works in them, bringing them new life, not just at some point in the future, but in the here and now. In Genesis 1, as the Spirit hovers over the water, order and purpose, which benefits all living things, is brought into being. And the task of the human creation into which God had breathed was to take care of that creation, to love it and to use it carefully. In our renewed life from the Spirit, that creation care mandate is still in force. And we each have a part to play alongside the maneuverings of governments and NGOs as they meet together over these next two weeks. 
Now that work of renewal of the Spirit, both in our own lives and in creation, won't be finished this side of the return of Christ and are entering into the renewed earth of Revelation. But we're called to start it now. And at that end time, we will again join with the Spirit in the cry for Jesus to come and reign. The Spirit appears in the second verse of Genesis and in the third from last verse in Revelation. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. The Spirit of God who creates life. The Spirit of God who renews by recreating life. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Do you? Amen.